Hey there, folks. Trustworthy Fat Kev Smith. Before we start casting the pods, man, let me try to sell you something first, okay? Do you like me? Do you like my friends Jason Muse, uh, Ralph Garman? Then guess what? We're coming to a town near you, man. Chicago, St. Louis, Atlantic City, San Diego for the Comic-Con, and Louisville, Kentucky. We're coming your way, man. Come see a Smod Co. show. Tickets at csmod.com. That's S-E-E-S-M-O-D.com. Now, if you can't come to one of our shows, you're like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to support this two-bit operation? Well, how about you kick back in your home with some family and friends and loved ones and play Monopoly? Jay and Silent Bob strike back Monopoly. That's right, man. You can buy from jayandsilentbob.com, the home of the secret stash, right there online, a signed edition of uh, Jay and Silent Bob strike back Monopoly. Me and Muse sign it, man. Jason Muse, Jay himself, me, Silent Bob. Uh, And the parts are real fun, man. They got a little cock knocker, a little fist, a little little Suzanne, a little blunt mobile. It's crazy, man. Get your hands on it. Get drunk, get stoned, and play a round of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back Monopoly. Available signed by me and Jason Muse at jayandsilentbob.com. Now, here comes your Smodco podcast. Geek News Reviews, commentary, not just another podcast. Are the ordinary people podcast. Get out and don't come back. Until you've redeemed yourselves. Now here comes your host, Kyle A. Barrett of the World Steve. Welcome to the Big Ball Broadcast. All the geeky news you can use. Once again here on the Smodco Network, my name is Kyle A. Barrett. I'm the voice of Sir Dude. You hear me all the time here on the network. But I'm also a voice actor for anime and video games here on the West Coast. And your co-host on the East Coast Other World Steve. And I'm celebrating 421. Ah, uh, yeah, we're recording our show on the 21st of April, a day after, and uh, I was putting on our Facebook page that, uh, how do we miss 420 and not post something? You know, we're part of a podcast network for Kevin Smith and Jay and Silent Bob fans and, and people that do partake in the wacky tobacco, and um, we totally missed out on an opportunity, but I guess you'll make up for that now. I will. I will give you my one gun salute. Smooth. <laughs> that wasn't bad. No coughing, no throwing up. Yeah, I was going to say that was impressive. You know, on um, another podcast here on the same network, Hollywood Babylon with Kevin Smith and uh, Ralph Garman, they always go over, you know, what kind of weed is Kevin smoking for the week? It's all street. D- to diverge just for a moment, in Massachusetts, it's weird where marijuana is decriminalized. You essentially get a parking ticket if you're caught with an ounce or under. We do have medical marijuana, but there's no dispensaries. It's, it's not like California. <laughs> where I don't think you can throw a stone without hitting a dispensary. So we don't have access to the, the really high-grade, wacky tobacco. This is, however, different from what I've been smoking for the last couple of weeks, and I like this. This is already an improvement. You know, it's funny because I think it was, I was only at one concert where I was in really close proximity to somebody sparking up, and don't laugh, but it was um, Terrence Trent Darby and Duran Duran. <laughs> Too late, I'm laughing, sorry. Let's move on to some news. I guess we could move on to some news. I guess we should actually talk about things that this podcast is supposed to be about. Hey, let's launch with the big announcement from Marvel that was news, but uh, it's probably not really news, according to its creator. But um, yeah, Marvel has come out uh, just minutes before we started launching the recording of this podcast that its character Iceman from X-Men is gay. Oh my God, stop the presses. Actually, the presses are going full steam. This is all going down in all new X-Men number 40. And the teenage superhero is outed by his psychic teammate, Jean Grey, who calls him out for saying inappropriate inappropriately sexual things about their teacher, Magic. Now, I won't give the rest of this away for those that kind of want to stay in the closet, so to speak, about this leak, Um, but if you do want to read all about it and see some stills from the book itself, you can head on over to BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed lately, they've just been breaking some really big stories, so I don't know. Legitimized internet news, I suppose. I don't think it's news, necessarily. It's like, so what? They're gay, and does that, (laughs) I mean, in the superhero realm, does that really affect their abilities? Does that uh, affect their usefulness to a team. What's your point? What I did dig about this was, you know, this is a Bendis deal. Oh, Brian Michael Bendis. Yeah, that's a a big name over at Marvel. Guardians and Spidey and, you know, yeah, he's a big name. He has been for many years. So he tweeted out this morning and he said, I swear on my dogs, I wanted this issue to come out and just be. No press, no sensational headlines, no leaks. 
oh well, because it did get leaked. But I do dig his sentiment that Marvel wasn't doing this for uh, accolades or to get into the press or to be controversial. It just, it is what it is. And does it make a difference to you knowing a day early or would you have been surprised tomorrow come comic day? I hear it when I hear it and it doesn't impact me as a fan or as a person at all. I'm just like, okay, good for you, Iceman. He's always been one of my favorite uh, Marvel characters, one of my favorite X characters. And I, I grew up with Spider-Man and his amazing friends. So it, it was Spider-Man, Iceman, and um, Fire Chick there. What was her name? What'd she go by? Fire Chick? Fire Chick. <laughs> uh, Starfire? Firestar. Yeah. I think it's Firestar. <laughs> they really like Starfire is uh, DC. Uh, yeah, Teen Titans. Teen uh, Titans! Oh, man. I've been watching Teen Titans Go with my kids lately. I don't know if I should be horrified or elated because it, it, it's the ultimate car wreck they use the same voice cast as um the the first teen titan series sure so i'm expecting some of this you know they have some pretty serious uh gripping episodes in that original series especially when when the whole thing with Terra and everything that, that got pretty dark and depressing. This is just like Ren and Stimpy with DC characters, mm-hmm. but I can't stop watching it. It's okay. You're becoming your inner kid. It's like, you're not growing up and that's a good thing, I guess. I mean, I prefer the original teen Titan series. I, I watched a little of go and it's like, I knew going in, it was going to emphasize more on the comedy. And I mean, that's fine. I mean, if little kids dig that, that's cool. I get it. I respect it, but I prefer the originals vibe, especially because it had had a lot of lighthearted stuff at first, and then it started getting dark once Slade and Terra and all that stuff. Yeah, and that was cool. I'll tell you what else I'm really digging, too. I'm almost tempted to say don't laugh. I'm kind of digging Star versus the Forces of Evil over on Disney. I've never heard of that. Uh, Yeah, uh, I, I won't go into details, but I'll just say, yeah, if you had a chance, get some episodes online, give it a watch. It's, it's certainly for the younger audience, but I don't know. It's one of those shows I didn't think it would be like Disney appropriate. Uh, hey, fuck it. I dig it. In some more uh, Marvel Disney news, it looks like uh, the success of Daredevil, which uh, I'm only two episodes in, and um, I have to treat it like it's a it's a show that's only on once a week, because I just don't have the time to binge watch right now. But huge rave reviews. Everyone loves Daredevil. I haven't read anything negative about it, except maybe Kingpin's bad Chinese accent. But uh, it looks like Netflix is renewing it. It's a no-brainer. Now, this is more news. I could care less about a, a character. Uh, I Guess who's gay? Like, okay, well, guess who's coming back? Well, and they should. Daredevil, the showrunner for the Netflix series on season one, Stephen S. DeKnight, uh, is stepping down, while uh, Doug Petrie, originally from Buffy, and Marco Ramirez from Sons of Anarchy will be taking over. Season two is scheduled to debut in 2016. Uh, in the meantime, Marvel and Netflix are prepping other shows based on their comic properties, a.k.a. Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and then ultimately the defenders i read a a spoiler last night and of course things are so far out that you really can't even qualify as a spoiler so with a grain of salt everybody but i'm hearing that after all the setup for the defenders on netflix that the defenders are actually going to make an appearance in infinity war part one actual crossover what bring them right into the mcu right well i mean we've already seen it happen you see agent colson on all the the cinematic universe and then that spins off into agents of shield so yeah if it goes backwards yeah, it could work. We got to talk about trailers. Yeah. We got to talk about how we got fucking ripped off last week because we did our show and we went our separate ways. And then the internet exploded with trailer after trailer after trailer, uh, some better than others. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll let you start, Kyle. Uh, okay. Got you the most. The, the, the big one that hit me right in the feels. I was, I was flying to a convention as a guest in, uh, South Carolina. I get off the plane and then I, you know, turn the phone off airplane mode and then boom, all these notifications, text messages, Twitter, Facebook, everything. New trailer because a new Star Wars celebration, the convention was going on in Anaheim and they were live streaming a lot of those panels, which I thought was fantastic. If I had the time and weren't at a con, uh, I probably would have been watching all the panels. But be that as it may, yeah, they dropped the new Force Awakens episode seven teaser trailer. I feel a little bit gypped and only in the sense that I had to watch it on my phone, but I didn't want to wait to watch it on the big screen or my big TV at home. I had to see it. So 
while I was waiting for someone from the convention to pick me up at the airport, I fired up the thing and I, all the feels, man. Uh, another, you know, fantastic uh, taste of uh, of things to come this December from J.J. Abrams, Episode 7. Uh, and then, of course, it ends with the moment that I think the internet broke, Han and Chewie, and people arguing about, you know, Chewie doesn't age. Where's the where's the gray hairs? And it's like, ah, I think that's a Wookiee trait. Maybe he ends up just looking younger. It's kind of like Asians. I was more than pleased with that trailer. I have to ask you, and I'll answer this as well. It, it's kind of become a meme within the first day with people getting uh, choked up or cheery-eyed with Han and Chewie and, yeah. and the comma he makes, you know, we're home. Um, did you, did, did, did you really get choked up? Did you look teary I did. You I, did. I did too. And I'll admit that because this feels so real. It feels so tangible. It feels like this is the Star Wars we deserved when Phantom Menace came out. And apparently you and I were not the only ones. This is a true story. Since the trailer was released, and it, I think it was the following day, actually, uh, Disney stock took a $2 billion boost just on the speculation that this movie's going to knock it out of the park. I've never heard of a, a studio's stock ballooning like that over a trailer. And not even the movie yet, just the trailer. So there's all kind of speculation. Is is it going to break the weekend box office record? How fast to a billion um, I don't want to get that crazy with it, but I think one thing that, that really, I think, uh, impressed the majority of people who are already praising J.J. Abrams for his claim of doing a lot with practical effects, BB-8 is practical. What the fuck? Yeah, seeing that footage from Star Wars Celebration, that that kind of stopped the internet in and of itself. It's like, it's not CG. It's a real thing. Uh, what's the name of the company? Sphero or something? Bob Iger from Disney is credited with, with, with locating and getting in touch with that company so they could develop a practical on-set droid. By Christmas, I imagine everyone will have their own BBA. There is a confirmation that the company that did create the droid for the movie is releasing an app-controlled version that you can control from your smartphone or tablet that will be on shelves in time for Christmas. Dude! That's awesome. But he still knows how the head stays on. And the company's not releasing that info yet, so that's still a big tease. But how the fuck is that head staying on that ball? That is news. Not whether a comic book character is gay, but damn it, how does that thing stay on? Magnets. It's got to be magnets. But that was a wonderful trailer. I loved it from beginning to end. It For me, I mean, it, and you remember my response to the tease, and I was kind of like, what the fuck did I just watch? And like you, I watched it four or five times on my phone before I had a chance to sit down and see it on my laptop, and I'm fired up. I I can't wait. I mean, thank God I have Avengers to look forward to very, very, very soon. Because if I just had to wait and have this dead space until Star Wars, I'd freak the fuck out. Yeah, we find all sorts of cool Star Wars news, like Planet Jakku, I guess. J-A-K-K-U. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that's, you know, where you get the crashed Star Destroyer, and it's going to be tied into Battlefront. Did you see that trailer? I did not, but I did read a bit about it a little bit, and that it does specifically have a chapter that ties in. I, I guess it's a prequel. It takes place about 20 years before the events of Star Wars Episode Seven, but... I kind of like that because, you know, right now, everything coming out is canon. Yeah, I don't want to talk too many spoilers, but a certain character that you thought was dead in uh, Return of the Jedi is not. What, Vader's not dead? (laughs) How can this be? This is crazy talk, I tell you. Now, what was this other uh, little tease trailer that came out during Celebration? Rogue One, the first spinoff movie. So every two years, we're going to get a new Episode 7, Episode 8, Episode 9. On the off years, we're going to get Star Wars anthology films. The first one, Rogue One, being developed, or directed, rather, by Gareth Edwards, who did 2014's Godzilla. They already had kind of a teaser trailer show, and hopefully you guys have seen it by now. If not, shame on you. We're just going to spoiler, spoil it now. But uh, you had some great voiceover lifted off the original uh, old-school Star Wars of Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, and hearing pilot chatter and whatnot. And I was really, really intrigued, especially about hearing from that panel that this was a way to investigate different aspects of the Star Wars universe, maybe in a different style. Like this one's being presented more as like almost a World War II kind of thing. While, you know, there's talk of Jedi and people, you know, doing all sorts of magic hoo-ha stuff. Uh, This is more combat-based, kind of like game that got axed uh, when Disney bought Lucasfilm and the uh, mature-themed Star Wars game got axed. And we thought, oh, I thought we were going to see something cool set in Star Wars done in a different vein. And now it looks like, you know, cinematically, the anthology 
anthology film series will take that. So you're going to get a different style, whether it's, you know, gritty or handheld or, or this, that, and the other. I'm just, I'm just speculating, of course. My reaction to that was very, very positive. Steve, however, let's hear your thoughts on uh, Rogue One teaser trailer. There's just one thing that fucks with me, and it's it's almost hypocr- hypocritical to bring it up because, yes, I understand this is a fantasy universe and real world uh, physics don't necessarily have to apply. But that shot of the Death Star in the orbit of the planet, yes. th- th- the science geek in me just keeps... I keep nitpicking on that. I'm like, if that was that close to the planet, the planet would already be fucked. The atmosphere would be cl- all nice and clean with the clouds and everything. The gravity offset from the two spheres would be doing some really, really heinous things, destroying the tides, possibly ripping uh, continents off their continental shelves. So, yeah, it, it's, it's a minor thing. It's a nitpicky thing, but it just it bothers the fuck out of me. I still can't comment too much about how Rogue One is going to pan out in my mind. I need to see a much better trailer. And then somebody very politely in one of the comments in one of the geek sites out there reminded, this thing hasn't even gone into production yet. So what you're seeing are things that might be concepts or, or whatever, or shit just to throw you way off this isn't necessarily anything you're going to see in production in the film. It's just one long shot with a CG or a matte painting thrown in at the end. In Jedi, you could see it in the sky hanging like the moon, right? And I guess we bought that. And this one, it looks like it would dwarf that planet. For a brief explanation on how much this bothered me, I screen-capped a still of the the, um, Death Star in orbit of the planet, and I imported in a still of the moon on a skyscape relatively from the same point of view. And from what I deduced, it's about 500 times bigger than the moon. So that probably puts it about 500 times closer to the planet. So that's one hell of a death star. So then something really fun happened. We get celebration and we get this wonderful star Wars trailer that people are literally tearing up about. And then you get rogue one and we get BB eight on stage and everybody's all excited. And then batshit bonkers and scene stuff. I don't, think it takes much to be a movie executive in this day and age because we got the Batman versus Superman trailer. Yeah. And uh, what else we got? We got another trailer too. Oh, the Fantastic Four trailer. And Jurassic World. I mean, I think Jurassic World's going to do all right regardless. But who the fuck launches these big trailers still in the shadow of Star Wars? Right? I, I mean, I guess there's a handful of people out there that are willing to get their ass handed to them when they go, I don't really care about Star Wars. You know, just like. I said, I don't give a shit about Harry Potter, and I somehow survived. I saw some people on my Facebook feed going, you know, the reaction that people were giving to Force Awakens, that's my reaction to Batman v Superman. I'm like, I didn't really have that reaction. I did see it. It was it was leaked, you know, a handheld on someone's phone, and then Warner Brothers decided to go ahead and do that, which probably circumvented their plan. Not their plan, but, I mean, they did want to show the trailer in IMAX, in theaters, on the Monday after, but I was not nearly as moved at all <laughs> by, by what I saw in Intrigued, sure, but not, uh, not. Oh my God, I can't wait to see this. Not, not in the way that I feel about Star Wars. Not the way that I feel about Mad Max: Fury Road. And, and we're still a good year away. I honestly can't even say I was intrigued. The only thing that I kind of nodded my head to was Batfleck looks pretty huge. I, I'm assuming most of that's the costume, but he looks very uh, Frank Miller Batman, and I was surprised by that. He, he's not a, a tall, lanky gentlemen but other than that boring and i think that's that was my takeaway from that trailer it was just fucking boring a teaser trailer you know they're not going to have that much to show right now because it is a year away and then they a couple days after they launched the two posters that look like obama one for each batman with superman's face on there and then vice versa and all that and the color schemes just just reeked of like this is a political thing it is no wonder woman what do you think about that no wonder woman no wonder woman well, maybe they're just saving it, you know? I mean, how much does the the fight between Batman and Superman comprise in the film? For how long do that, and at what point do they become allies? Because obviously they have to become Justice League. Yeah, how, how does Wonder Woman factor into it? It's probably just a marketing decision, kind of like when you saw the Star Wars teaser. It's like, hey, where's Han and Luke and everybody? It's like, no, just patience, patience. We'll get it. And we got it, you know, six months later. So I figure in the next six months, we probably will see, you know, something with Wonder Woman in there. Because everyone knows that she's in it. Back to Star Wars real quick. And, and I, I want our 
listeners, people in the chat, people listening to this after the fact, I, I want to hear your opinion at BB Broadcast, because this is another thing that's been weighing on me, but it's, it's not a bad thing. Um, again, I, I love the, the Episode 7 trailer. We don't have a bad thing to say about it. But you hear Luke's narration, and yeah. immediately that hit me. Wow, that's so familiar. So I, I dug out my special edition. Sorry, that's all I had available. My special edition uh, Return of the Jedi, and it's his talk with Leia when he reveals that Vader's his father and that she's uh, his uh, sister. And it's just slightly rearranged for the trailer. Now, I've listened to it a million times, and I listened to the clip from Jedi a million times. And I want to know from our listeners, is that recycled audio from Jedi that maybe edited slightly to pitch it down a little, or is that new Mark Hamill delivered dialogue? Doesn't change my opinion again either way. I'm just kind of curious on what your take is on how Disney handled that narration. To me, it's not even about whether it's lifted or not. I thought it was lifted, and then I thought, well... Mark Hamill's a voice actor. He can sound like he was 30 years younger. No problem. Uh, the thing that stuck out to me about what that dialogue said was the present tense. My father has it. Some fanboy speculation is that he's speaking of Vader in the present tense because his uh, Force Ghost is still with him, as revealed at the end of Jedi. Right. Um, the other big trailer that launched right in the fucking shadow of Star Wars was the Fantastic Four reboot. Yeah. And... I will keep my thought on this pretty concise. When I first saw the first teaser, I really could not care any less. This was a much better done trailer. Yeah. It's a much better done movie, but it's a much, much better done trailer. And I did sit up a little bit more when I watched this trailer. So I feel the same way. I had written off Fantastic Four already. To me, cinematically, it's just those two bad movies from a few years ago. It's just having Josh Trank, director of Chronicle, which was like low budget Akira. But I loved it, loved it, loved it. And then have his involvement, which supposedly, you know, there was some behind the scenes scuffling going on and, you know, him going on drunken rants and maybe the thing is a whole debacle and, and probably can't be saved. But marketing teams and whatnot can certainly make a trailer look appealing. And that, that has no bearing on whether the final product will hold up to it or not. But yeah, in terms of trailers, like you said, this new Fantastic 401 Definitely looks like a movie I would go see. Definitely kudos to them for turning around how I felt about that. We got some other Star Wars stuff. Uh, I know you don't have cable, and you probably haven't been watching Rebels, but Rebels is actually pretty badass. And when I, the first thing I really dug about Rebels, and I'll put it out there, if you haven't seen the end of season one yet, uh, skip ahead a few minutes. I don't want to spoil this for you. Ahsoka's back, who is Anakin's Padawan, and that's a big deal. She walked away from the Order. She didn't like the way that the Jedi were going. She became a rebel. She was actually providing a lot of secret information to the rebels that are portrayed in the said series Rebels. So Ahsoka's back, and in the last episode of season one, the, the season finale, we got Darth Vader. At some point, Ahsoka's probably most likely going to face off with her master, and I think that is a really fucked up thing to do, but fucked up in a good way. I think it's going to be very emotional, and uh, I kind of dig that they're doing that. The other big tease for uh, Season 2 is that Captain Rex is coming back, along with a couple other clone troopers. They're saying from official Star Wars people that there is an explanation for this. They're not going to ruin it, but there is an explanation about why some of these clones, who were grown to age faster than a normal human, could possibly still be around in this universe. And, and the Season 2 opener, uh, if you've seen the trailer, it's just... It's so badass. It's Vader. Vader, 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 Vader. And people who have seen the, the episode already in, in pre-screens have said, oh yeah, he's definitely the protagonist in this whole episode. To me, it's uh, the first Star Wars series done really, really, really exceptionally well. Now, I have an iTunes subscription. I have season one accessible and will download it and watch it or stream it on my on my Apple TV as soon as I get time. I got a billion shows I'm watching, you know, Daredevil and Flash and Arrow and, uh, oh God, just tons of stuff. And Rebels is something that I definitely want to catch up on because of all this stuff that was happening towards the end of, of season one. It's like, oh, Lando's in it. What? What? R really? Okay, cool. And you know, we're getting closer and closer in 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 the chronological order of the story, getting to back to episode four and and, and the bridging of that, and that's that's really really cool. Uh, and the fact that I know some of the voice cast, you know, Steve Bloom in there as Zeb makes me really intrigued. I've auditioned several times for the show, haven't been cast, but uh, fingers crossed, man, I could die a happy man if I got to on a, on a professional level work on the show. But as a Star Wars fan, I'm definitely intrigued by all the all the positive buzz and all that. And I did see the first two episodes of season one and thought. 
wow, they're really onto something. This is cool. I, I could I could get into this. I really can't shower it with enough accolades and praise. It is very, very well done. And it's not pandering. It's not uh, droids or anything like that, thank God. I think it's brilliant. Galaxy Quest. Everyone's been hoping for a sequel. I know I have. As bad as sequels can go, this, that, and the other. It looks like Paramount is developing a TV series based on Galaxy Quest. The film's writer, Robert Gordon, is expected to be involved. I doubt you'll see the cinematic cast return on, on TV, unless, you know, they somehow work it out. You know, Tim Allen, Alan Rickman, Sigourney Weaver. I don't see that happening, but um, it's definitely an interesting uh, way to go with that. I, I was still hoping that they would do that with the movie cast and, and just do a full-on sequel. And, of course, honestly, I can't even say anything because I am not the least bit familiar with Galaxy Quest whatsoever. Dude, I think it's on netflix you you need to watch it you will laugh it is really really funny it's a nice uh tribute to to the the star trek mentality i mean they're all a bunch of actors who go to conventions and you know some are into it and some aren't uh, and then suddenly they get whisked away to a, uh, an alien world and and suddenly you know the, this alien race thinks that they're all actual superheroes or they're the actual, oh, this is this brave crew on board this ship. And the like, and Tim Allen's like, Hey, let, let's just go with it, man. Let's just, let's just tell these guys. Yeah. We know what we're doing. No problem. They square off against a, a, a bad enemy and all that. So there's a lot of Star Trek type humor in it. It's really, really funny. Highly recommend it. I'll consider it. <laughs> yes. It consider that. it along with the shrink wrap serenity still sitting on your shelf. It is. I want to take a picture and post that on the BBB Twitter account. This just continues to make my head explode. As yeah. far as you no, know, this news drop today you ever watch full house i did a little bit my daughter's into that show strangely enough I and mean, she's full grown now she gets into sitcoms from decades past like way after the fact do you ever sit back in your recliner and think wow this could use a, a modern retelling or or this this needs to come back in an episodic format now i know that with netflix anything is possible <laughs> Oh my fucking God, with Netflix, anything is possible because I understand this is a geek podcast, kids, but again, this just made my head explode. We're getting a Full House revival coming to Netflix and it's called Fuller House. But really got me though was the premise. It is so fucking twisted. So here's the premise. In Fuller House, the adventures that began in 1987 on Full House continue with veterinarian DJ Tanner Dash Fuller, pregnant and recently widowed, living in San Francisco, DJ's youngest sister slash aspiring musician Stephanie Tanner, and DJ's lifelong best friend, fellow single mom Kimmy Gibbler, along with Kimmy's feisty teenage daughter Ramona, all move in to help take care of DJ's two boys, the rebellious 12-year-old DJ and neurotic 7-year-old Max, and her soon-to-arrive baby. First of all, why is this happening? Second of all, is Netflix going to be like shooting that with a studio audience the way the original ABC series was done? How did ABC let go of this for this product? Well, this is, believe it or not, still a, a Miller Boyette production. Um, Jeff Franklin's producing, and this is in association with Warner Horizon Television for Netflix. From our chat room, which goes live with us each every uh, Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, DBZ snaps in our chat, says, will the Olsen twins be in it? I, I apologize apologize for not mentioning that, but yeah, pretty much everybody's reprising their roles. John Stamos is coming back as Uncle Jesse, Bob Saget, Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen, Dave Coulier, and uh, Lori Laughlin are all coming back. This gives other sitcom actors hope, right? It's like, I remember when my show was popular, and now in the internet age and YouTube, people are rediscovering these shows and Nick at Night and whatnot and reruns and syndication. Maybe there's hope. Netflix, Amazon, just... Bring us back to the airwaves or the of the internet. I think you just have to accept that for everything you would want to see come back, there's going to be 400 shows you didn't want to see come back. Oh, yeah. Like, um, I was never into Inspector Gadget, but uh, Robert J. in well, our chat says... Right there, Abe. What do you mean you would never into Inspector Gadget? I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. My brother could. My brother was six years younger. He was all about it. He was into that and Danger Mouse. And those were- I love Danger Mouse and Inspector Gadget and Count Duckula. Don't forget Count Duckula. <laughs> well, I never saw that at all. But yeah, I couldn't get into Inspector Gadget. I was like, oh, that's just Don Adams with his own voice from Get Smart. I understand that if you grew up on something, you're going to have a connection to it. I was slightly older than that, so I it didn't reach to me. But Robert J in our chat says, I, I saw the first two episodes of the new Inspector Gadget. Surprise, surprise. It was terrible. Somebody, I think it was on Topless Robot. I don't 
recall. Um, they sat down and binge watched it so you wouldn't have to. And yeah, that was pretty much the take on that. I'm was- not surprised. I don't know if you are or not. I mean, were you excited for a new Inspector Gadget? Not at all, but I mean... I also have a, a tremendous problem going into anything I watched in the 80s coming back nowadays, and everybody's putting the CG twist on it. It's all that in three-dimensional computer graphics, and I'm used to the two-dimensional hand-drawn cell art of Inspector Gadget. I know companies aren't going to do that anymore because it's too cost-prohibitive, but it looked too different, and then, of course, the other part of that is that Don Adams is no longer with us, so we knew, of course, he wouldn't be reprising that role, so that was already two strikes against it for me. Netflix, again, they're, they're, they're cranking out new stuff. Um, you got How to Train Your Dragon. You had two successful movies, and now they're doing an animated series, bringing it exclusively to Netflix. How about that? You know, I, I've got a love-hate relationship with How to Train Your Dragon. I think the first movie was brilliant. I still love it. I, I can end this episode of the Big Ball Broadcast and pop it in and watch it from beginning to end and enjoy the shit out of it. A lot of people hype the second one to being way better than the first one and I kind of didn't like the second one at all. But there was a um, I believe it was DreamWorks, um, an ongoing television series and I enjoyed the hell out of that too. So I don't know. I mean, two out of three for me, that's a big deal. So I'm kind of like huh, more How to Train Your Dragon on Netflix they've already announced there's going to be all kinds of new dragons. So even if you're like a Game of Thrones junkie and you're just in it for the dragons, check out the series. No boobies. No boobies in How to Train Your Dragon but there's dragons. How to Train Your Boobies. Kung Fu Panda had a series, but it uh, was not on Netflix. So maybe, maybe I don't know how the ratings were for the that animated series. It was CG animated, of course, too, just like the films. It's like this new frontier. It's 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 the new network, and you know, if you're Netflix, you're going, oh my god, we're growing by leaps and bounds. Whereas other people. I don't know uh, how major movie studios or people pitching to the networks are are viewing it. Are they viewing it as a last effort? Or are they viewing it as a, uh, like a like a last ditch effort? Or is it like forget going to ABC and Fox and all that? That's the old model. Let's just start online. That is the future. That is where people are now. I'm nodding my head full in agreement. I believe it's the latter. I believe that it, it isn't a last ditch effort. I think it's embracing that technology. You want to watch this shit on the fly on your your phone, your tablet, your laptop whatever streaming on your tv i think they are already poised to be giant competitors with what the networks are doing especially when you have these big properties from marvel and disney going over there and then big uh, properties like how to train your dragon going over there yeah I, i think it's something that makes the networks a little nervous and it starts forcing their hand about how they're delivering content and their pay model i love the fuck out of the kung fu panda ongoing series now you have two kids did you introduce them to that show or, or were they were they just interested because they were fans of kung fu panda or you were a fan of kung fu panda and said hey we got to watch this guys i think i i went to see the first one theatrically either before i had kids or when they were too young to have gone um and i went mainly because jack black i mean it was gonna be funny regardless and i did i, I love the shit out of the first movie it's very formulaic and of course it's played down for kids but i thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it um, my wife likes the second one a lot more and my kids de- dig them both about equally. Um, but for a while that was a staple in our house around dinner time was to watch the, the ongoing series. And that was very, very well done. Mm, nice. Uh, I want to bring it back around to, uh, the Disney stuff and, and Marvel actually, because, um, uh, this, this was interesting. I saw an article today. I forget where it was because I just copy pasted the info, the gist of the article, but it's like, it basically poses the question, where's all the Black Widow merchandise? It looks like Disney has dropped the ball yet again with a female character, as they did last year with Guardians of the Galaxy. Where's Gamora and Star Wars Rebels? Uh, believe it or not, it's hard to find anything with uh, with the female characters on that. And now with Age of Ultron, it appears that if you want a Black Widow, some sort of tie into that, you got to pick up the starter pack for Disney Infinity 2.0. There's a little figurine for that, or a shirt, or a shopping bag. Scarlet Witch... There's nothing with Scarlet Witch on it. I mean, maybe the movie poster, but um, it's like, hey, hey, Disney, what the fuck, man? Are, are we really still in that that really dated, old school, sexist sort of, you know, uh, action figures are for boys, dur- uh, dolls are for girls, and there's no crossover. I- I'm so sick of that shit, and because that's that's getting into that dangerous ground also of affecting ratings of shows. It's like. Let's yank this cartoon off TV because it didn't sell enough toys. Or let's yank this off because too many girls are watching it. It's like, what the fuck, man? 
uh, from the Yahoo, the Yahoo article, I did post uh, this quote from it. It said, girls don't want to date superheroes. They want to be superheroes. Boys don't need to learn to minimize the impact of women's accomplishments from a lunchbox. I thought that was a really good quote. You know what? Um, any guy out there who has this real misogynistic approach towards life, I would recommend you, you find a, a girl and you fall in love and you bone her deeply and you get her pregnant and have her give birth and watch her raise a child and you'd have no choice at the end of the day but go, that's a fucking superhero. I don't know how the fuck they do it, but first you're going to push a, a, a basketball out of your nether regions and then for the most part, it's typically take care of that thing for the rest of its uh, natural life. That's a pretty heroic feat. I don't get it. I don't get this day and age. Uh, last time I checked, I think women outnumber men on this planet almost uh, two to one. Uh, I don't have a problem with women wanting to be superheroes, aspiring to be a superhero. If I need help, I don't give a fuck who's rescuing me, be it male, female, or otherwise. Uh, be my hero. So the only question I have now is, is DC going to do the same thing and drop the ball with Wonder Woman when it comes to merchandising Batman versus Superman? Because she's certainly not mentioned in the title. <laughs> that That's intriguing. Wouldn't that be funny if they they put Wonder Woman out and they put merchandise out, but somehow Wonder Woman's not in it. <laughs> They'll just put the male characters in there. It's like, come get your Wonder Woman uh, jet. Where's Wonder Woman? Ah, you don't need her. Silly girl. <sighs> Yeah. I just don't get it. And and I'm really surprised that uh, Mattel hasn't capitalized with Barbie and come up with Barbie in different superhero iterations. I think that'd be a great fuck you to everybody else. And they'd corner the market on female uh, superhero dolls. Yeah. I mean, if you, I mean, what this article didn't cover is that, you know, like sideshow collectibles and all that, they tend to run like high end you know, maquettes and statues that look, you know, picture perfect. They look like an amazing articulated figures that uh, look just like, I mean, but, but that's, that's super high priced. You know, if you're on the action figure market or if you're just a kid, you know, something that's $10 or less, that's playable, that doesn't look like a piece of crap, like action figures have come a long way in the past few decades. You look at those old Star Wars figures or old GI Joes and it's like, these look kind of stiff, literally. Uh, and especially the Princess Leia figure is one of the greatest, uh, examples I could give. I remember when the Power of the Force figures debuted in 95 and they put her out. It's like, it's like, it looked like they put, took Han Solo and gave him honey buns. It's like, it was still terrible, but now they have come a long way where the girl action figures actually do look like women, but they're still short packed, you know, and those, those still tend to be more valuable because they make less of them because stupidly they assume that, that they're not going to be, there's not going to be a market for it. Well, with this whole weird reboot thing going on in the Marvel universe and the announcement that the new Avengers team is going to be comprised entirely of female characters, I would say that would be one way for Marvel to make it back to the masses is to release a box of the, the Avenger figures being the all female cast. And that might take some of the sting off. But yeah, you know, I thought they would learn their lesson after the first Avengers because that was very public. That was very out there in social media that they threw up two giant fuck yous to uh, Black Widow with the inclusion of merchandise, so that's, that's really sad. It's not going to prevent me from seeing Age of Ultron on opening night, but um, it's still pretty sad. <laughs> and you brought up Wonder Woman. They lost their director recently, but it looks like Warner Brothers was quick to hire another one. You know, I, I keep shaking my head when it comes to uh, Wonder Woman, because they, they've already lost two directors, both women. Uh, apparently, they hired their third female director for Wonder Woman, and that is Patty Jenkins. And what's pretty wild about that, it's, it's sort of some poetic justice. She was replaced on Thor 2 by a Game of Thrones director, and she's now replacing a Game of Thrones director for Wonder Woman. That's all I really have to say about that. Wonder Woman's on his third director. <laughs> yeah, and they acted quick because they don't want to lose that window. They want to get uh, Wonder Woman out by, I believe, 2017. Uh, their whole cinematic universe plan to to try and thwart Marvel as if that's going to work, but okay. No, you know, honestly, I didn't do enough research because I figured by the time we do another show, they're going to be announcing another director for Wonder Woman. Yeah, and they had a creative difference, uh, I think, with the last one who had worked on Walking Dead and Game of Thrones. He wanted to do something more action 
action-packed, and uh, Warner Brothers actually wants to do something a little more character-driven. That kind of shocked me. I figure it's like it's going to be like the Hulk all over again with with Universal and Marvel. It's like, uh, okay, Edward Norton, we want to just uh, chop all this silly character crap out. We just want action. We want fast-paced. You know, I, I almost think ass. it's justifiable to take the action approach with Wonder Woman because of the conversation we just had about, you know, women can be superheroes too, so let them do all that fun, crazy shit that the guys do and exhibit their powers and fight really formidable enemies and everything. I think when you want to take that character approach, it's almost because you want to downplay the fact that this person is an incredible superhero that could probably go toe to toe with most people in that universe. When you were giving me your headlines of, of stuff you wanted to talk about, this one made me raise an eyebrow. Valiant Comics wants as few people as possible to read its new comic. This is a weird, wacky, wild story. Valiant has a new series coming out book of death um it's a big event title so there's this tie-in called legends of the geomancer and it's going to be released to retailers in the way that uh comic covers usually released and what happens is that copies of the four issues will only be made uh, available in limited runs and given to retailers based on their order for the main book of death issues and valiant doesn't intend to even collect the league the legends of geomancer as a trade paperback after the fact, basically meaning that once the copies are out in the wild, that's it. Now, the way they explain it is, this is a very little-known story, the history of which is only known to a select few of the most important players in the Valiant universe. It's a telling, it's telling will mirror the method of distribution. It will be a rare series that we hope fans will seek, much as they did decades ago, with tales like the original Harbinger number zero. Now, as some commenters have so eloquently stated, in the digital and social media age, does this even matter? You know, because if you're one of those few people that do get their hands on the, this four-issue, very limited series, you're probably going to scan it and have it up online like launch day. Sounds like, let's drive that prospector market. We want to do that. I'm like, does that even work anymore? Well, I guess it does. We, we we live in a day and age where there's there's companies like Mondo that put out its, you know, artist-driven movie poster market and a huge success story out of Austin. They put out their limited edition posters and now it's expanded to soundtracks, just reissuing with different cover art. And it's a whole new market. Well, that's Um, badass. I dig the Mondo posters. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a couple of things. I got a Groot one from Comic-Con and The Thing, um, one of my favorite John Carpenter movies with Kurt Russell and all that. I mean, there's nothing that indicates that it's that movie, but it's a really just really cool imagery that that does that. So yay for Mondo, but uh Valiant, I don't know. A Valiant effort, I suppose. Har, 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 har. Um, but you still go to comic shops. I haven't gone to uh, an actual brick and mortar comic shop in quite some time. So when you hit your local comic shops, of course you see X-Men number one hanging up behind the counter with a ridiculous price tag on it or a Sp- Amazing Spider-Man number one, things of that nature. Do you see anything contemporary hanging up with a giant price tag on it? No. <laughs> I, I expected more of an answer there because I honestly don't know. But really, there's nothing in the contemporary market that has any drive or or anything, any appeal to people who didn't pick it up at the time. No, man. I'll I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, yeah, some of the early Walking Dead issues, of course, the first prints of – of this, that, and the other, they, they tend to go for more, like the variant covers that are usually uh, retailer incentives. I honestly haven't gone th- into comic shops that much in recent years because I, of course, read them on my iPad and iPhone through Comixology. I haven't really kept too close an eye on the pulse of what's going on there. You know, I guess digitally, you you, you kind of erase the whole prospector market because you know it's it, it's not about that unless you know it's it's some sort of limited you know hard copy product you can get your hands on, whereas digital you can't. And you know, there still is a, obviously there still uh, obviously is an audience for that. I just don't know how much people are willing to pay nowadays for that sort of thing. Yeah, my days with that are over. Actually, when I was growing up, I really dug Judge Dredd kind of before the, the Stallone iteration. So I always felt like, fuck you for destroying Judge Dredd. Um, but it was about the time Anthrax had I Am The Law. So that was pretty cool to buy some uh, speed metal associated Judge Dredd merchandise. But anyway, I have been looking on eBay lately. I haven't pulled the trigger yet, but I'm very, very tempted to reestablish my old Judge Dredd collection. All that I have left is uh, Eagle Comics Judge Dredd number one, which is very near and dear to me. 
but I've been thinking about picking up the rest of that as the actual physical comic books, not for the speculated market, but just to kind of relive that those childhood moments and, and lay down on my bed, kicking my feet, flipping it page by page and getting that old uh, newsprint smell. I got to ask you, because we've talked on and off through the years, but when we weren't doing the podcast, just not as much. But did you see the Carl Urban Dread 3D from a few years ago? I did not. And, and honestly, my reasoning is very piss poor, but it's because the Stallone Dread was so bad. I just said, you know, I don't know if I can trust anybody taking this to the big screen. Oh, dude, 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 dude. You, you, you will not ha- have a hint of stench or, or smell or anything. There, this is so far removed from that. This goes back. This is balls to the wall action. Uh, great 3D too. If you have a way to watch it in 3D, then perfect. If not, no big deal, but stylistically action packed pacing and, you know, just character beats and everything. That's quintessential dread. That's what I hope will, will come back. It did dismally in the theaters and then it sold a shit ton on, on home video, but we're still waiting and hoping. And Carl Urban's been trying to say, we want it to happen. We hope it happens, but, uh, Hey, come on, Netflix. Hey, start greenlighting movies. We don't need a whole series of dread, although I wouldn't say no to that. But uh, hey, let's let's resurrect some some properties that deserve the spotlight on them. I think somebody came out not too long ago, either the producer or the director of the latest iteration of Dread, and he said, "I don't think this is going to live on in uh, Netflix," which is actually too bad. Again, since we're talking about how next Netflix is really going to be a force to be reckoned with, I'd love to see a Dread series done like the HBO Spawn animated series. I think that would be really appealing. I I love the HBO one, and they are developing a new animated series, right? I think Todd McFarlane's hinted at that anyway. He has. I forget which network it's with, but yeah, we have more Spawn coming. Not that I've heard anybody say anything really big about Spawn in 15 years. (laughs) But he was my my favorite character to play with on Soul Calibur 2. I can't justify it. I just do. I just loved using them on that. I played the original horrible Spawn game. I think that was, uh, what was that? SNES or GameCube? It, but it was fucking horrible. I'm, I'm one of the, the sheeple out there. Yeah, I, I pre-ordered an Apple Watch. I have to have it. Uh, I've had Android watches before. I've been like, okay, these are cool, but I want to see what Apple has to offer. And I don't have it as of the recording of this podcast, but I'll be able to speak to it next week and give my review. But Android Wear, on the same week that Apple is launching its own watch, has issued a huge software update to try to catch up with them because reviews for Android watches, smart watches, for the past year or two have been lackluster at best uh, and hasn't really taken off. And a lot of insiders think that Apple, uh, despite it, you know, uh, mediocre reviews because of its its mainstream and its its name and it, 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 its credibility and whatnot will help smartwatches break through to a mainstream level and that may actually help boost Android Wear. But if you have an Android smartwatch, you can get more customization options, Wi-Fi support. Actually, that's going to be helpful. Hand gestures and a feature that sounds similar to the iWatch, where you're going to be able to draw a little emoji and send it to friends and whatnot. That's something that I wanted to be compatible with iOS and is on the cusp of it. Uh, Google and Motorola have said the Moto 360, uh, the circular smartwatch, which has done really well. Uh, we're close to getting an iOS compatible version of that. And I'll probably break down and get that too, because I wanted a smartwatch that was round, damn it. Steve, I know your sentiments are a smartwatch. Why have that? Because you have it all on your phone. But <laughs> I guess people wear watches. And if you want to upgrade from a watch to a smartwatch, no harm, no foul. Some of these prices being thrown around, <laughs> I guess Seriously, some, yeah. some harm, some foul. I, I've never been a watch person. That's not entirely true. I'm not a wristwatch person. Believe it or not, I rock a pocket watch. Ever since you watched Full Metal Alchemist the first time, right? I, I kind of forgot about that. I, I have two pocket watches. I do have my Full Metal Alchemist pocket watch, which I paid way, way, way too much for from Japan back when Full Metal Alchemist was at its peak. But I do have a first run, very, very well done FMA pocket watch. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm the secretary of my lodge. So I bought myself a nice Masonic pocket watch has some engravings and inscriptions and whatnot decoring it. And I do rock that. I do rock my pocket watch. Look like a train conductor is kind of funny. Personally, I don't get the whole smart watch thing and I don't know what a smart watch can do that my phone can't, as you said. So most people are content walking around with their phone in their faces anyway. I guess I'll continue to be one of those douchebags. Man, I had to, I had to laugh. I was reading, you know, I, I use Flipboard. It's an app that just gathers like an RSS feed. It just gathers all the headlines for topics that you want to read about. And one of them under the Apple tab, I was reading about Apple Watch apps. And it's like, get this now. It's free. It's going to be really helpful. And I thought it was something to help you 
you know, quickly see what the battery life was on your Apple Watch. Like, what's what's what battery percentage is left on it? It turned out it tells you the app, the the battery percentage for your phone, and you're like, why would I need an app on my watch to tell me what my battery level is on my phone when I could reach into my pocket, pull out the phone, and see what the battery level is? Wow. Yeah. Again, like you've had you have a Pebble Watch. Tell me honestly, what are some of the pros and cons of having a smartwatch? For me, like when I'm in the booth recording and I get a buzz in my pocket or if I want to on my arm with the Pebble Watch, and I'm sure you'll be able to do that with 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 Android and with Apple as well. It's nice not having to uh, to pull your phone out. You just gonna look like you're checking the time, and there it is, a notification that you can scroll through, or if it's short enough, it just pops up. Now that just happens to work with my line of work. With everyone else, I don't know. I mean, do you want to be that guy in a social situation, always on your phone with your head down, or do you want to just kind of glance at your phone or, or glance at your watch, look like you're checking the time, and then go back to what you're doing? I mean, I guess there'll, there'll come a point where where the etiquette thing will just kick in, and those are like, oh, okay, everyone's checking their watch too much now. Or their smartwatch. So it's really just replacing the phone. We're, we're, we're replacing our obsessions with another obsession, but they're tied to the previous obsession. And that was my exact thought as we're saying that. So it popped in my head that instead of people being obnoxious with their phone to their faces, they're just going to be obnoxious with their wrist up to their face. And with, which, uh, with a smaller screen and smaller everything, CPU and whatnot, uh, I don't know how entertaining that's going to be. Cause not like you could play the latest state of the art apps or stream movies or, or hi-fi music or anything on those. So. I still don't get it. Yeah, yeah. I, I know that I don't have any games on any of the smartwatches I have. I won't be downloading them on, on Apple Watch or, or the new Pebble Watches later or, or whatnot because, you know, I have a fully functional phone that I like playing games on with much bigger screen real estate that I can deal with. If it's just literally like a foot or two away <laughs> on my arm to my pocket, is there something that I'm really going to miss in that experience from my arm to my pocket? I'm not sold on that, but um yeah, the whole fitness app thing, that'll be nice. You can, you know, it'll have the heart rate monitor built in and all that stuff. That I mean, that's good for that too, I guess. I'm thinking having a device on your wrist that's paired to your phone and essentially tells you what's going on with your phone. The machines have already won. I mean, it's definitive. The the when are the machines going to take over debate? That's already done because the machines have so fucking won. The Matrix, Skynet, it's happening, man. We are our own doom. We've sealed it. Been confirmed that Bebop and Rocksteady are going to appear in Ninja Turtles 2. Paramount did announce that. Um, everybody except Will Smith is returning for Independence Day 2, like literally. And uh, that's about it. Oh, nice. All right. Well, cool. We want to uh, thank the folks, uh, Robert J. Sigmund, 88, Venom 34, Alan S., DBZ Snaps, Dork of All Trades, The Stody, uh, for stopping by our chat room, which launches, uh, so you can hear our, our live audio stream on Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, and that is 6 p.m. Pacific. Of course, uh, listen to the end credits so you can know how to get in contact with us. We've got our email address, our Twitter feed, all that fun stuff. We want comments, suggestions, feedback. Blow it all our way, man. We want it. We love it. We really appreciate you guys listening. So until next time, this is Kyle Bear, And this is Otherworld Steve. See ya. Special thanks to Will Wilkins and Jason Peer. Music provided by iShine, Perimeter of the Void, and Zero Reynolds. Follow us on Twitter at BB Broadcast. And email thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com. <laughs>